And welcome back to Dr. Payne. Dr. Lou is in the house. The number anytime, one 855 Dr. Lou. It is paincarecanada.com. Dr. Lou, how are you, pal? Good to Good. see you again. Nice to see you as well, John. We should uh, just take it back to the uh, the beginning, I think, uh, for this show, for, for people that haven't heard and not to experience with what you do. What is it exactly? I mean, you know, it's in the title, right, Dr. Payne, but what exactly is it that you do? Uh, well, myself specifically, I'm a chiropractor for for our audience to know, uh, but my clinics are focused around pain and pain management, so everything to do uh, with trying to alleviate somebody's pain. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, you said you're a chiropractor yourself, is that, the, is that the bulk of your business? Is chiropractic at this point, or has things changed? No, uh, chiropractic, I guess, was my way of getting into the healthcare industry, right. so I personally chose to do my degree after I finished my undergrad at the University of Toronto. I went on to become a chiropractor. I studied here at the Chiropractic College in Toronto, uh, and then when I was finished, I started practicing as a chiropractor, obviously, uh, and the majority of what I saw coming into my office was pain-related, so chiropractors do work uh, in the pain management spectrum, we're not the whole answer to the pain management spectrum. And I guess that's where I decided that you needed the multidisciplinary approach uh, for, to, to actually help someone's pain and not just focus on one healthcare professional. Multi, uh, talk about that for a minute. What, uh, what other than chiropractic do you offer or should people be aware of if, there's a, if they're in pain? Right. Pain, pain is so diverse and it really comes down to what's the root cause of somebody's pain. There are times when even things like psychology might play a component wow. in pain management because your your disposition affects how you how your brain will interpret pain. Uh, things like physiotherapy play a role, chiropractic plays a role, massage therapy, surgery at times can also play a role. Oftentimes, the surgery, the medication should never be the first uh, line of defense against what you're suffering from, but. In some cases, it is needed. Uh, people specializing in bracing, uh, any assistive devices, all of these things that we have in healthcare help towards pain management. One eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou is the number to get a hold of uh, Doctor Lou at the clinic anytime. You can go to paincarecanada.com is the website. There's more contact there. So, how are things like? How long have you been doing this? How long have you uh, been working in a clinic professionally? I've been working in a clinic professionally for four years now, going on to my fifth year, uh, and I have eight years of um, education uh, leading up to this right. point in healthcare. So have you, th- have you seen things change since you started this, the way pain is treated or the way people are coming in? Like, is there more sports injury now? Is there more car accident related? What do you think? Yeah, I would say that in my time since getting into school, I do think things have changed. I think the world uh, is definitely progressing towards people understanding that their pain isn't just a medication that's going to fix everything. And I think people are moving towards understanding that multifaceted or multidisciplinary approach that's needed and involving multiple healthcare professionals uh, to get their pain better. It's funny you mention that because for years, you know, the first thing people would do before they sought, you know, a multi-pronged approach to pain management would be to reach for a bottle of pills. That's what everybody knows, right? What do you think about that? Yeah, and and, you know, most people, I think, are guilty of that. I was guilty of that at one point, too, where it, it's the easiest thing, and we're creatures of making our lives easier, and so it's, it is easy to just reach for a pill. But one of the things that we've started to notice uh, with a lot of 
what we've seen go on in the world is that prescription medication for pain has led to a lot of deaths and oftentimes doesn't actually solve the problem. Now, I'm not suggesting that it doesn't play a role. It does play a role, but it needs to be monitored and used along other types of interventions in order to truly help that person's pain. I always find there's not there's not just two types of, of pain and injury. Obviously, there's probably millions, but I've always kind of myself because I'm a, I'm a lower back pain sufferer. And this is for me. I don't know. We'll talk about this, I guess, later on the show or another show and other shows is I don't know if it's height related, but I always find there's people that have no pain until they're injured. Then there's those of us who somehow when we shot out of the gate, it reared its ugly head sometime in childhood. And you've been suffering from this ever since. Yeah, a lot of that comes down to genetics could be a factor. If you have some type of uh, arthritis in your family that's genetic, it may rear its head at a certain time. When it comes to healthcare and diseases, a lot of diseases are more prevalent at certain ages. Uh, And if you happen to have a predisposition to some type of pain that predisposes you when you're a child, you'll develop that pain when you're a child. A lot of the times your point that you said that you can go on forever and then it just one day all of a sudden you feel it. It's oftentimes not that initial day that caused that pain. Right. It may have just been the straw that broke the camel's back. So it was something that led up to that. And maybe the way you've been doing something for the majority of your life, whether it's in work, the way you sit at home, the way you sleep. And our bodies do do an incredible job of taking most injuries and keeping them at a low level until it's to the point where it can't do that anymore. And that's unfortunately, like you said, the point where you, the individual, will notice it. It's funny because a friend of mine, this is years ago, I used to have a very physical job speaking personally now, and that's where the uh, injury really nailed me one day. And I was on my back for six weeks and I heard it at work. And a friend of mine who suffers a similar type of thing in the lower back says, you know, I'm convinced as a species we stood up too fast. And I said, you know, for the amount of people I know with back injury out there, it almost sounds like it could be true. Yeah, I think I think the opposite may also be true. Our bodies, what I'm trying to say here is that the world around us has evolved so much faster than our bodies have right. actually evolved. We're actually constructed for about 10,000 years ago. And what were we doing 10,000 years ago? We were doing a lot of walking, a lot of grazing. And right now, unfortunately... To the other point that I'm trying to make is that sitting may also be a contributing factor to uh, the pain levels that people experience. And we're often sitting more than we actually like to believe, whether it's in your car, at the office. And it may actually be that we're not moving around enough that's actually contributing to that. That's a pretty fascinating angle. We'll talk more about that in just a sec. We'll take a quick break. In the meantime, you want to get a hold of Dr. Lou, simple one 855 doctor Lou, and it's paincarecanada.com. More of Dr. Payne is on the way. Talk radio, AM 640. And back with more Dr. Payne. Dr. Lou is here, one 855 doctor Lou, and paincarecanada.com. Before the break, uh, Dr. Lou, we were talking about you know injuries that people either have or you seem to, they just crop up over time. And overwhelming injuries like back injuries. And I said it was funny because it seems like we stood up too fast. And you countered with an interesting point saying, you know, maybe our lifestyles have evolved and our bodies haven't. Meaning, you know, it's, it's not the fact that things should be easier and easier on your bodies. But because things have become easier, a lot of sitting, a lot of lounging, your bodies are taking a toll for that. We should be more physical, right? That's right. Yeah. F- being physical is is essential to all components of healthcare. We are often told about 30 minutes of moderate physical activity is really good for your heart health. We very rarely hear that those that same 30 minutes of moderate physical activity is also good for your physical health. It keeps your joints moving. We're we're creatures made to move. We're not made to be sitting. And yeah, it does play an important role to to be active and I'm not suggesting that 
you know, there's also a threshold, right? When you okay. look at the stress curve, there's you can also put too much stress on your body where it will have the same effect as having too little stress on the body. And like most things in life, there's a medium level, that mid-range of physical stress that really has benefit. You look back at pictures of the 1930s and 40s, and there wasn't many obese people back then. There wasn't many obese people back then. A lot of things have changed, not only the amount of uh, sedentary type of living that we do, but also our diets have changed a lot in the last 70 years. Uh, There's a lot more processed foods, and all those things help to contribute to pain levels that people experience. And, you know, a lot of these things change, and unfortunately... uh, you know, we have to learn how to adapt around it. We should never stop evolving as a species. We just need to understand that in that evolution, we may need to change as well to make sure that we stay healthy. one 855 Dr. Lou and is the website. More details and more contact on the website. Talk a little bit about diet. Is that something that most people probably wouldn't walk into your clinic expecting to see? They would expect physio and, you know, heating pads and chiropractic and all that stuff. But how, how big a chunk is diet in that? Diet plays a very big role, especially when you look at injuries that have an inflammatory component. A lot of components of our diet actually inflame. And if the things that we're eating are contributing to the inflammatory process and you're going through an inflammatory type of uh, physical ailment, it's not helping it. It's actually making it worse. So a lot of the times when we have patients in the office, we like to recommend uh, diet modifications to help decrease inflammation. What kind of things are inflammatory? I never, I never would have thought that to yeah. that degree. There's a saying, grains inflame. So most grains actually contribute to the inflammatory cycle. Uh, and, um, you know, alcohol can contribute to the inflammatory cycle. However, they Damn have... It. Yeah, yeah. They <laughs> have shown, however, that red wine and stout beers are actually opposite of that. So that yeah. type of alcohol will actually help to decrease your pain levels. Now, obviously, in moderation, I'm not suggesting anyone should go out and get a six-pack of Guinness for their back pain. But, you know, to a certain moderate level, it will play uh, a good level and a good amount of help. Now, I know your clinic, your background is chiropractic, but speak to that to a moment. What do you think about the whole um, paleo and uh, keto diet, which is basically carb-free for, you know, for the most part. Yeah, and and that whole paleo idea going back to what we were talking about previously that our bodies are designed for 10,000 years ago, that diet is essentially uh, made to mimic what we would have ate 10,000 right. years ago. And personally, myself, I do believe that it does play a role to treat our bodies and our health the way we would have 10,000 years ago. Am I suggesting that we should never you know, have any processed foods or anything like that. No, but if kept in moderation, I think doing that type of a lifestyle where you're sticking to more what I'll call real foods does play a beneficial role in your health and your pain levels. one 855 55 Lou and online is the website. Let's talk about the spine for a little bit. What's the main problem you're finding in your chiropractic clinic or your clinic overall, but as a chiropractor with people's backs? I would say the main problem with the spine comes down to what we we have termed, it's a nonspecific term, but we've termed it mechanical low back pain or mechanical neck pain. When we say mechanical, what we're trying to do is our job is to see a patient, they're explaining to us some type of pain that they're experiencing, and we have to start ruling out the most serious things. 
once we've been able to rule out those most serious things, we can bring it down to a level where we're looking at the mechanical structures such as joints, such as nerves, such as muscles. And once we can look at that, oftentimes it's so hard to specifically pinpoint whether it's the muscle or the joint that we use the term mechanical in order to kind of group all those, uh, I guess, non-life-threatening conditions together. It's always been said, or I've always been told, that surgery is the quote-unquote last option. Do you still feel it's that way? It depends on the injury, and this goes back to the assessment. There are some cases where, for example, if you blow a disc and there's impingement on the nerve and you have an antalgic posture, you can't move, then unfortunately your best option is going to be surgery. I think what it really comes down to is being able to have someone assess you appropriately, get multiple opinions on what's your best option, what's your best second option, third option, and hopefully the first few will work where you don't have to resort to things that are more invasive. Dr. Lou is here. Lots more of the Dr. Payne Show coming up. We'll take a short break. We'll talk about the back and lots more on the show in the next uh, little while. we got a remainder of the hour to do so. one 855 doctor Lou and PayneCareCanada.com. This is Dr. Payne on Talk Radio, AM 640. More of Dr. Payne to get a hold of Dr. Lou on the show. one 855 doctor Lou and PayneCareCanada.com. Let's talk about some myths about pain and getting help with pain that you have through your clinic. You could probably just rip them off the top of your head, I would imagine, at this point. Give me one. A myth about pain? Yeah. Uh, uh, One big myth is people often will come in and have hurt themselves, and the first thing they'll say is, I put ice on it. Uh, And that may not necessarily be the best approach, depending on what the injury is. Sometimes no type of therapy, like whether it's ice or heat, is going to help. Sometimes heat is going to be better, and sometimes ice is going to be better. For whatever reason, people tend to assume that in the initial point of injury, they should be using ice. To reduce swelling. To reduce swelling. And it may not be... Just because you're feeling pain doesn't necessarily mean that there's a swelling component going on. Right. And so that's the point where being able to assess it properly, because you may actually be doing damage by putting ice on something that doesn't have swelling. The example would be is if you hurt a muscle, you strained it. Uh, And, you know, for whatever reason, we all know that if we take a piece of meat and we put it into the freezer, it tightens up. We may not necessarily want that to happen. We may actually want that muscle to stay loose. Speaking of hot and cold, what do you think? What's your opinion on like topical ointments or analgesics, whatever they call those things? Yeah, again, and this goes back to the multifaceted approach. I do think Mm -hmm. everything plays a role. A lot of them come down to personal preference, uh, comes down to allergies. So if you're allergic to some type of an ingredient in one, then another may be beneficial. I think it definitely plays a role in keeping your pain levels at bay. Uh, and maybe helping to soothe what you're feeling, but is not going to play uh, a type of healing perspective. So in in healthcare and what specifically we deal with, we look at things that are pain modalities and things that are healing modalities. And what that means is things that are pain modalities are things used to keep your pain levels subsided so that you can go on day to day versus healing modalities are things that are actually going to get to the root cause and start to eliminate the problem. Those things are that separate, are they? They can be. I yeah, they are that separate. Yeah. Wow. We're talking about the myths when it comes to pain and getting over pain. one 855 Dr. Lou and PainCareCanada.com. Give me another myth people often come in there thinking of, talking about. Well, what's a myth that you think, John, just off the top of your head? The, like I said off the top of the show, that uh, just because you're necessarily taller, chances are you've, uh, you're more prone to, to bad lower back and stuff like that. But I know a lot of guys that are okay. Yeah, I think body type, a lot of people with their body types do tend to believe 
um, that they had this injury coming just because of their the very nature of the way they're built or whatever it is. And that's all not may play a role for sure, but it may not necessarily be the case. It may be something that they're doing repetitively wrong throughout their day and may not necessarily be due to them being tall, right? How do you exclude right. that confounding variable to determine, okay, is it just because you're tall? Because if it was, then every tall person would suffer from that same ailment. But maybe if you're a tall person doing this, then that would contribute right. to it. I've often heard the myth is that, you know, you keep going to chiropractic again and again, it's like a coat hanger. Once you bend it so many times, it's no good. Yeah, I think for sure in healthcare and, and for whatever reason, people seem to say it for chiropractic, but dose response exists in everything in healthcare. So everything that we do the first time is going to always be more effective than the hundredth time we've done it. And the example of that is the first time you've taken a Tylenol for your headache, it seems to work like a charm. And then as you get chronically addicted to them, all of a sudden you're taking them, but it's not necessarily okay. helping your headache. And that exists in everything in healthcare where there's a dose response where you have to have an intervention in order to help with something. But if you use it and chronically use it, it's that your body will adapt. Everyone knows that if you're able to run 30 minutes at whatever speed and you continue to do that, you'll start to reach a certain plateau. And if you're trying to lose weight, you're not necessarily going to lose more weight because you've plateaued. Healthcare is the same. Anything that you do over and over again is going to have less of a beneficial effect as you continue to do it. And that goes, again, coming back to the practitioner's job to be able to determine how much does someone need and how can you wean them off of it? Because the goal should be when you're doing any type of therapy that in the beginning, it should be much more passive where the professional is doing their intervention, whether it's with their hands, some type of a machine, and then moving you towards active. What are things that you can do on your own so that if in the future you experience this problem again, you still have those passive modalities available to you that will have that same beneficial effect. That's another myth I've often heard as well, is once you start, you know, don't start physio or chiropractic or anything of that nature, because once you start, you can't stop. You'll never get out of it. Yeah, and for whatever reason, that that myth seems to exist only in uh, the rehabilitation world. And when I say rehab, I mean the chiros, the physios, the RMTs. When was the last time you only went to your dentist once in your life? Or when was the last time you only went to the optometrist once? Unfortunately, healthcare is an ongoing process, and every professional is going to have to play an ongoing role. 1-855-55-DR-LOU is the number. PainCareCanada.com is the website. Lots more of Dr. Payne coming right up on Talk Radio AM640. This is Dr. Payne on Talk Radio AM640. The number to get a hold of Dr. Lou, simple 1-855-55-DR-LOU. And PainCareCanada.com is the website. There's always the physical component of pain and uh, and rehab and getting well. Everyone knows that one because you feel it every day. There's also the mental, the mind component. Talk a little about that. Yeah, actually, the mind may actually play a bigger role in pain than the physical aspect. When you actually look down at the anatomical structure of the body, there's no such thing as a pain receptor in our body. What we have is what's called a nociceptive receptor, which is a Latin term to just basically mean an uncomfortable stimulus. So the example is that if you have a flame on your arm... Your body, that nociceptor, is only picking up that information and has to send it to the brain. The brain then will perceive a danger in order to make your body react. And so that's constantly what happens with pain. In healthcare, we often talk about learned pain. 
the same way that you keep sending a signal back from one part of your body to your mind, it starts to develop a pathway that seems to be natural. And we all know that because once you've learned how to ride a bike once, you never have to learn again. You've created this neural pathway that just makes it easy for you to step back onto a bike. And it's the same thing with pain. The unfortunate part is that if you undergo a certain stimulus for too long, you start to create a neural pathway to develop that pain and and feel that pain. And that's what chronic pain is. So pain receptor, quote unquote, is a myth. It's not that it's a myth. I don't want to say that it's a myth, Mm -hmm. but when we in healthcare thousands of years ago started looking at this, we didn't term it something to, we didn't have the term pain. We had the term uncomfortable. And so it's something that your body doesn't like. We oftentimes talk about pain as a vital sign. It's not one of the cardinal vital signs like heart rate or blood pressure or respiration, but there is something that's, that in healthcare, we often say it's the fifth vital sign because in order to be alive, you should have some type of pain. So it's actually not a bad thing to feel pain. It's your body's, your mind's way of telling you that there's something wrong in that area of your body. The unfortunate part is that the mind is so strong, and we often hear mind over matter, uh, that it's so strong that oftentimes in the absence of a physical ailment in that part of the body, you can still experience pain. And the example of that is phantom limb pain. Right when someone's lost yeah. a limb and they still tend to experience pain in that foot that's not really there anymore. It may not be there physically on their body, but that foot still exists in their mind. That has got to be a huge part of, of your practices. Get, can you get through that? Can you, you know, rearrange those, as you call them, neural pathways? There are groundbreaking things going on in healthcare to help rearrange these neural pathways. And they're actually not overly technologically advanced. They're very simple things uh, that our viewers can look up. Things like the mirror box uh, is a simple way of overcoming this type of stuff. Uh, we do that. What is that? The mirror box? Yeah. The mirror box in that example of the phantom limb missing, you can trick your brain by showing your brain that a limb is there. So if it's your right limb missing, so let's say your right lower leg, you could put the mirror box up so that it's the reflection uh, of your leg and it looks like it's your left leg to your brain. And let's say you feel a cramp there, you could start moving your right foot, but look in the mirror so that the brain perceives it's the left foot wow. and it tricks your brain. That's bizarre. Yeah. It's funny. I don't know if you're familiar with this book and it's been out. I know uh, it's been out for years. You probably are with your practice, but a guy named Dr. Sarno came out with this book about most of lower back pain, saying that is exactly that. It's learned pain. It might not be a physical attribute that causing your pain. So much of it's up here, and that's what you've got to beat that, in reference to lower back. That's right. And, and, and the reality is oftentimes the chronic pain issues start with some type of a physical manifestation, but then over time that physical manifestation actually gets better, but the mental component of it doesn't. And that's going back again to the multifaceted approach of healthcare where you need to understand what is what's playing a role in this person's pain and oftentimes it's hard for people to hear that their psychology plays a role in their pain because oftentimes people think that means they're crazy and there's that type of myth going back to our conversation of myths it doesn't mean that you're crazy the reality is that your brain is very powerful it's a processing system it processes everything you do and so sometimes you need to be able to trick your brain there's also once you focus on something too much You know, they talk about 10,000 hours of practice makes you a professional in something, even though that was only tailored originally towards uh, piano. But if you focus on pain all the time and you've done that for years, you now kind of become a professional in in feeling pain. 
right? Because you're yeah. focused on it. It's amazing since I'd say, you know, and this is probably fairly common, you can speak to this, what, 20 years, I'd say the way that, uh, you know, physio and, and clinics like yours have improved so much from 20 years ago. I remember when I first started going to Cairo when my back was bad, I'd be like, where are you going? I got to go see Captain Crunch and get a, you know, <laughs> get an adjustment, right? That was always, that was always a joke, but it's come so far. So why do you think people still are resistant to go get treatment? I think it, it really comes down to getting treatment is hard work. Oftentimes, the way we've progressed uh, so far with our treatments, we put a lot of the onus back on the individual, whether it's the active exercises that they have to do or the active positive thinking that they have to do, the cognitive behavior therapy. It's not really that, you know, two or three times in the office that week that's time consuming. It's the rest of what they have to do every other day that they're not there. I tell my patients all the time, you could come see me every single day for one hour But the reality is you'd still have 23 hours where you have to live with yourself. And it's not about doing something right for three hours in a week. It's about doing something right the whole week. And it's impossible for us to put them in our clinics for three weeks fully until they get better. That just doesn't happen. So a lot of the onus falls back on the individual. And unfortunately, you know, as humans, we tend to look to conserve energy. And if we could do stuff that's not really that hard, we tend to go that way. That's just our evolution. That's just the way we're programmed to work. And and the unfortunate part is being able to overcome that from from the standpoint of saying, I have to do it. It's kind of like when people talk about losing weight and they talk about, well, what's the key? The key is it's hard work. It's not, it, there's nothing groundbreaking about it. There's exercise and there's healthy eating and everyone is always looking for, well, what's an easier answer? There is no easy answer. That's as simple as it is. And it's the same thing with pain. It's hard work, unfortunately, to get better and you have to be committed, you as the individual, and it can't just be the professional doing it for you. one 855 dot com online. There you go. Lots more of Dr. Payne coming up right here. Talk Radio AM640. Dr. Payne on Talk Radio AM640. You want to get a hold of it's one eight five 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 Doctor Lou and PainCareCanada.com. So you know we were talking before the break that you simply it's it's like anything else. It's like being successful in business. It's homework. You got to do your homework when you're outside the clinic. You got to grin and bear it and just you know muck in and you'll get better. Chances are you'll get better. So what do you think about people that come and say you know what I've just it's been twenty five years. This is the way I am. I packed on another twenty five pounds. I just three cups of coffee, a couple of Tylenol. That's I got to live with it. Yeah, I got to live with it. It's a big quote, right? What yeah, that's right. That? Yeah, I think, and that and that goes back to it's that person's mental disposition. A lot of why they feel what they feel is because of that type of attitude where they've just given up. I don't think that you should ever have to give up because at the end of the day, we often talk about the quantity of our lives where we'll talk about, you know, people are now living to 80 years old. We don't really talk about the quality of life. And pain is one of those things that doesn't necessarily affect the quantity of your life because you can live so long with it, but it definitely has an impact on the quality of your life. And this isn't a dress rehearsal. It's not like we're going to come back to life again, right? So why would you not want to do things to better the quality of life? And and I think that's the next step in healthcare is that we're going to move away from just talking about how long we can live to how well can we live in the years that we're here. And I think that's a big, uh, a big topic of discussion that the healthcare world needs to have is how do we get people living a better quality of life in the years that we're here? Yeah. And, and, and I think a lot of people, a lot of our viewers may even agree that if someone said to them, you could live 100 years miserably or live the best 50 years, probably a lot of people would choose 50 years that are happy. Yeah. And, and being 
in pain doesn't necessarily contribute to happiness. It often makes people feel worse, obviously. And, and they just, and I see these people all the time in my offices. They're just not happy. Everything in their lives has gone wrong. And a lot of it spirals out of control because of the pain that they're going through, because maybe their spouse doesn't understand what they're going through and maybe thinks that they're just faking and then their marriage falls apart and then their kids hate them. So it's such a spiraling effect that you can have that you really have to be willing to say, I need to make that difference in my own life, no matter, you know, and especially if you've been trying for so long, I think it really comes down to find the people that are good at what they do and get them to help you because there's a lot of good people out there. The unfortunate part is there's a lot of bad professionals too. And oftentimes you see the one bad professional and you've given up. Yeah. That's not the end of it. it you know, and, and with healthcare, we seem to think that we should give up. If you saw a bad mechanic, you wouldn't say, well, I'm never getting my car fixed again. You would just look for a better <laughs> right. mechanic. Yeah, right? right. It's me. You mentioned how the, you know, the physical starts and then it affects the mental. Then it goes back to affecting the physical. And like you said, it's a spiral. So how do you, when someone comes into your clinic and you, you've recognized right away, you've diagnosed it's part of the problem. It could be 50-50 as far as a physical versus what's going on in their head. How do you begin to treat that? I think in the beginning... You want to stay away from talking about the mental component, right? right? Because people are very apprehensive. There's still that stigma around mental health. Uh, There shouldn't be, but there is. And so a lot of the times it may not be the best approach to right away tell them that there's a mental component. The beauty of what we do in the rehab world is we often have to see our patients much more than, say, a family doctor would, where a family doctor may see you once a year for your physical exam, and that's really it. When a patient's undergoing treatment in the rehab world, they may be coming in a few times a week for a few weeks. You get to know people over that period of time, and I think those conversations are easier to have with that person as you get to know them, and you can almost put it in a manner where you're you're becoming friendly with them. You're letting them understand that there's more to what's going on. And so I think those conversations, it's important to take note right away and then to introduce that concept slowly over time because the reality is you can't do justice in five minutes trying to explain the mental component of pain. You need to take a good chunk of time. There's books and courses that just focus on this. You can't do it justice with just one treatment and you know one five-minute uh, conversation. one 855 doctor Lou and paincarecanada.com. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the physical again. Now that is, uh, well, you probably deal with this in your clinic as well, and you probably have to dance around the topic very gingerly, but people with excess weight, I mean, that's a huge component. You mentioned about things 80 years ago, how people just weren't as heavy as they are now. A yeah. lot of it's diet, a lot of it's sedentary lifestyle. So how do you deal with that in your clinic? Yeah, that's the exact same thing as we were talking about the mental component. Uh, it may not necessarily want to be the one thing you want to introduce right away. But you'd be surprised to know that oftentimes when people do come in and they know that they're obese, they're the ones that tell you, oh, I have this and it's likely because I'm obese. Uh, and so r- really, they they seem to understand that that is a contributing factor to their pain. And I guess our job really becomes encouraging them to make a change on that. Because again, there's going to be no justice done if someone comes in with low back pain and they're 50 pounds overweight. And all we tell them is, okay, well, we're going to put, you know, some laser on you and some heat, and then we're going to do some release therapy with you. And then that's it. You're not doing justice to getting to the root cause of the problem. That may play a role. Those modalities may play a role, but then it's also talking to that patient about, well, you know, you may need to lose some weight or this is going to be an ongoing issue. And with back pain, as an example, 
the research shows that once you've experienced back pain once in your life, you're, I think the number is something like 80% likely to experience it again within a year. And then that number continues to go up as, as your life goes up. And over time, they tend to become more debilitating each time you have that, that insult of that back pain. So, you know, it's, it's a conversation to be had with these patients who are overweight that if they would, Again, going back to the quality of their lives, if they want to make a lot of things better, the root cause there is their weight. They're going to have to make a change. And in your clinic, can you facilitate that type of help as far as we do? We actually, I I actually have, uh, I like to work with naturopaths and dietitians and nutritionists on that front where we can get them involved uh, to speak with the patient and assess that patient and make lifestyle modifications. I don't think any type of diet that's too hard to sustain is ultimately destined for failure, I think. So I like to have a very serious approach towards changing someone's diet where you get to understand what it is that they like and how they like to eat and simply modify it to make it a little bit healthier, but not necessarily taking those things that they love away because they may just fail. And then all that does is create a spiraling effect where their low back pain will get worse. Lots more to come. We'll take a, a short break. In the meantime, one 855 doctor Lou, and it is paincarecanada.com. Dr. Payne, the show continues right here at Talk Radio AM 640. Dr. Payne on Talk Radio AM 640. To get a hold of Dr. Lou, who's on the show, of course, hosting it, one 855 doctor Lou, and paincarecanada.com. We're going to be doing a lot of these shows over the next, uh, hopefully, few years. We're going to be covering all sorts of topics from chiropractic to pain relief to diet to the uh, mental component. But uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what things you want to achieve in the next little while so people can, when they come back next week and give us a call live on the air, we can uh, we can deal with them. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest things in research that seems to play a really beneficial role in pain management uh, that often comes up, no matter what intervention we put there, mm-hmm. is we always look at education and empowerment. So letting someone understand a little bit often makes them feel better because just being able to understand is, oh, okay, I get it. It's it's the same with anything, right? Like if you're having a problem with your computer and a professional makes you understand something, you now know how to solve that problem. So right. this is it's a very long process of really trying to understand this well. Like, I mean, I'm here and I have a a decade of education in this field uh, and all that education is made up of, you know, hundreds of years of research that's been piled into my brain. So it's, it's a lot of stuff for the average person to understand. And I don't think that one time does it justice. I think this is something that needs to be repetitive. And I think the education on healthcare and specifically pain management needs to be better. And and that stuff is never done in, in a short period of time. It takes a lot of time to achieve those goals. Is there any good reading in the meantime between shows that people can do? I mean, everyone goes to, you know, Google University and there's a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah. Right. One of my favorite books when it comes to, to healthcare and the, and the toughest things to help in healthcare is a book by Norman Doidge uh, called The Brain That Changed Itself. And what Norman Deutsch did is he's a, he's a physician, a psychiatrist, I believe, actually, who took a lot of groundbreaking research in a lot of different areas of healthcare and put it into a concise books that the, the public can read and have a little bit of understanding. And there's one section on just pain. One chapter is dedicated to pain. And I believe the researcher's name from UCLA that that chapter is based out of uh, is Ram Chandran. I believe is the name. Uh, Then there's a component on OCD from Jeffrey Schwartz and et cetera. But it's a great read for the average person to really start to understand how encompassing healthcare is and that it doesn't just come down to one simple thing and that so many things play a role, whether it's the physical aspect, the mental aspect, the social aspect is another huge factor that plays a role. in. How do you mean? 
more people in a lower socioeconomic bracket will be more prone to injuries than rich people, right? Because when you have money, it predisposes you to getting better care when you need it earlier. People who are in higher socioeconomic brackets tend to have disposable income that if they feel something, they may go for a relaxing massage versus someone in a lower socioeconomic bracket doesn't necessarily have that availability to do that because, you know, they're working two jobs and they don't have the time. It may not just be a matter of money that they don't have the money to pay for the care. It may also be the fact they just don't have the time. The foods that they're eating, right, going back to diet and how that contributes, things that are mass produced are obviously not going to be as good for your health as the things that are not mass produced and and if you're in a higher socioeconomic bracket you tend to be able to afford those things also when i talk about the uh, the sociology of it it's also relationships some people are in horrible relationships that has an amazing effect it has it? an amazing effect yeah. yeah i always tell people that if you were experiencing low back pain and someone called you and told you you won the lottery you'd probably feel instantly better because It would just be such an overwhelming neurological effect on your body of happiness that it would just probably disappear. So it, it Until does, your ex takes half and then the back pain's back. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Then, that's yeah. right. CRA comes in and then all of a sudden <laughs> now, right. now your neck started hurting too. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, moving forward, what do you suggest people that are uh, listening to the show and going to return with us next week? What do you suggest they do in the, in the short term before they come see you, obviously? Yeah, I I would say educate yourselves on good research. And what I mean by that is, like you said, Dr. Google may not be the best thing. Make sure that you're using credible sites, right? Like if you're typing something in on Google and you're just going to some random site that you've never heard of, no credibility, probably not the best idea versus something like a Mayo Clinic is probably very credible. Um, And so I think those are the things that they can do. I think that you know, I would love for everyone to continue listening because there's a whole lot that we're going to go through here. Uh, and I think that that education component is going to play a massive role in really trying to change the perception in, of healthcare and, and how the public can can make the change themselves just by having the understanding. Does age always have an impact on people's uh, availability or ability anyway to get better? Yeah, oftentimes age actually can make it hard for people to get better because our bodies at the end of the day are mechanical machines. And just like a car that's brand new is going to have less problems than a car that's old. And so unfortunately, as our bodies deteriorate over time, it's going to become harder for for things to heal. We often hear about a wastebasket term that patients are often told they have arthritis. No kidding. Yeah, they're they're often told there's arthritis. And what they mean by arthritis most of the time is wear and tear. And I always say to people, that's like gray hair of the skeleton. So did you expect to get to 50 and never have a gray hair? Because of course you're going to have some type of degenerative change. Now there is a a point where maybe it's too much degenerative change, right? And again, that goes back to we, the professional needs to figure that out, but there's too much reliance on that term in healthcare to just tell the patient to get them out of your office that, yeah, they have degenerative changes, they have degenerative disc disease, or they have arthritis and that's it. And, and it's just a wastebasket term because oftentimes that's not the cause of their pain. So you suggest even in those cases that they would come see you? Absolutely, yeah. Wow. Because, and and not even not just me, but any good healthcare professional is going to understand that what you see on imaging doesn't necessarily correlate to clinical the clinical case. In fact, they've done research that basically says it's 50-50. So if we took 100 people right now and we x-rayed their low backs... of those people would likely have degenerative changes, but not the same 50 people will have pain. 
And in some cases, oh, wow. they will be the same person. What's important to consider here is what do you see on the test, whether it's imaging or blood work, and what are the clinical symptoms? What is that professional seeing in their office? And putting those two things together is what allows you to get the right answer. Before I come see you, you mentioned imaging. Should that stuff, should I have you, all your ducks in a row? Should I have my uh, MRIs and my scans and all that stuff with me? Or Yeah, I would say that any, prof- uh, any patient uh, that's going to seek help, sh- whatever they have available to them, I've always encourage my friends and my family that when you go to someone's office and they take an x-ray or they do whatever, to get a copy of that and create your own medical file. Right, because Smart. if you show if you show up at the hospital, they're not necessarily going to know what someone else was doing, and so it's good that if you can have your own medical file that they can look in and say, "Oh yeah, there is a history of this here," and blah blah blah. So I, I'm not suggesting that people should be running to their doctors right now saying, "I need an MRI right now." But if you already have that stuff and you're going to seek help, it's beneficial to bring that stuff because it just you know takes away a layer of the onion, and in some cases, it may not even provide any more added information that's needed. And, and unfortunately, we waste a lot of money as a, as a public system on useless imaging and useless tests. Excellent stuff for another week, my friend. In the meantime, you want to give Dr. Lou a call until next week. You can call in and ask your questions live. We'd love to hear from you. one 855 doctor Lou and online to paincarecanada.com. This has been Dr. Payne on Talk Radio AM 640.